Lord, we thank you that uh, these encounters with different people uh, resulted in huge blessing uh, for the people that you met with. And we pray that as we meet with you this evening, as we gather under the authority of your word, and as we meet as a church family around your table, that we too would know your blessing as you encourage us by your love and mercy. Amen. I'm into, um, I'm slightly into sermons, uh, starting with slightly obscure quotes. Uh, At my nephew's wedding on uh, Friday, I was able to start my uh, wedding sermon rather unexpectedly with a quote from the magazine Trout and Salmon, which slightly surprised people, but his, uh, his wife had been reported in Trout and Salmon as catching her first salmon, which weighed only two pounds and was returned to the river. And I was able to point out that on this particular day, she had caught my nephew, who weighed just under 20 stone, a very big lad, and uh, was definitely a keeper not to be returned. Went down quite well, actually. Rather better than it did with all of you, in fact, anyway. Uh, but this evening, this evening, I want to start with some quotes. Again, a first for me, quoting from uh, the Bible Society magazine, which, uh, which is called The Bible in Transmission, and rather unexpectedly features an article on Pope Francis. And Pope Francis is quoted twice in this article relevant to our passage on, from Luke 19, Zacchaeus, the, the encounter of Jesus with Zacchaeus. I just want to give you these two quotes. This is, um, uh, this is the first bit from the Bible Society. The woman caught in adultery and forgiven by Jesus in John chapter 8, he told a retreat in Buenos Aires a few months before being elected Pope, would not have sinned again. And this is the quote from the Pope. For whoever encounters such great mercy cannot depart from the law. It's what follows. I'm sure the same thing could be said of Zacchaeus. That Zacchaeus could not... uh, sin again in the same way, having encountered the great mercy that he encounters in this story uh, that we've read of him and Jesus. And then a little bit later in the article, it says this, again, quoting the Pope. The article is about to quote the Pope. There are two ways of thinking and of having faith, he told the cardinals in February 2015. We can fear to lose the saved, or we can want to save the lost. It's a very good quote, isn't it? We can fear to lose the saved. In other words, we just stay in maintenance mode as a church, or we can want to save the lost. Our reading ends with, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. In the same homily, he contrasted the thinking of the doctors of the law, which would remove the danger by casting out the sinner from the community of faith, and the thinking of God, who in his mercy embraces and accepts by reinstating him and turning evil into good, condemnation into salvation, and exclusion into proclamation." Read that once more because I think it's good. In the same homily, he contrasted the thinking of the doctors of the law, which would remove the danger by casting out the sinner, and the thinking of God, who in his mercy embraces and accepts by reinstating him 
and turning evil into good, condemnation into salvation, and exclusion into proclamation. And no doubt all my conservative evangelical friends listening to this online in their thousands will now cross me off their Christmas list because I've quoted the Pope. Perhaps not. We're looking at our, our last in our series of people that Jesus ate with. Luke chapter 19, page 1053 in the Bible. The wonderful and very familiar story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. And to get you into the mood, I hope, Paul, I've got two pictures there, I think. Jules has put two lovely pictures, one of a sycamore tree. This is testing Paul a little bit. If only Toby had been on the machine tonight. His Toby, Toby Paul's son was down to be operating the machine, but he was Scooby-Doo in Holiday Club this morning, and he's very tired from being Scooby-Doo. Thanks, Ashley. I know they're there because Jules told me they were there this morning. I thought you'd really like to see a sycamore tree from Israel. It's very exciting when it comes. Do you think it's there, Ash? It's coming. It's coming. It's wonderful. Aha! That's that. Oh, that is the sycamore tree. There he is, up the sycamore tree. It's not the picture I expected, but it gives you a rough idea. It's it's not too bad. You can't really tell that. So there was a lovely picture of a whole sycamore tree, but don't worry. And there should be one more of a beautiful stained glass window of the very much taller Jesus talking to the very much smaller Zacchaeus. I don't know whether you can see that. Zacchaeus is on the right there, and Jesus on the left, and that comes from a church somewhere or other, and I can't remember where. But I found that. Anyway, that gets you into the mood, I thought. Anyway, there you are. Now, you may wonder why Zacchaeus was so rich. And I did a bit of research on this and discovered that he was rich because balsam was the only tropical and the most expensive spice grown in Israel, and it was used as a perfume and a drug, and it was exported almost exclusively through Jericho. And we're in Jericho, where Jesus meets Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector in Jericho, it is thought would have made himself rich by creaming off the taxes from the balsam trade. Uh, It worked for the Romans, of course. It was lucrative. And no doubt, by nefarious means, he had made himself extremely wealthy and very unpopular. And if you've got Luke 19, open in front of you. It's worth just looking back to chapter 18 and verse 18, where you will see that Jesus encountered the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler was honest, decent, and popular, the opposite of Zacchaeus. And no doubt the disciples, when Jesus encountered the rich young ruler, were very enthusiastic about him joining their number. Who wouldn't be? Everybody would want someone like the rich young ruler in their church, and they would have been very unenthusiastic about Zacchaeus joining their number. He would have been a great embarrassment to them. And no doubt also they weren't very enthusiastic, if you look at the end of chapter 18, at the fact that Jesus received into their number a blind beggar who was also on the edge of society, much despised. He also became a follower of Jesus. But the rich young ruler, everybody's favorite son-in-law, goes away sad, and Zacchaeus and the blind beggar become ecstatic disciples. 
There's even an unverified legend, in fact, that uh, Zacchaeus was, in fact, the Matthias who became the uh, additional 12th disciple uh, after Judas had hung himself. It's unverified, but some people think that that was the case, that Zacchaeus actually became one of the 12 eventually. The story of Zacchaeus is unique to Luke. Only Luke tells us about him. Typical, I think, of Luke's meticulous research when he went and uncovered this story, perhaps from Zacchaeus himself. What is he trying to tell us? To try and answer that question, I want you to come with me in your mind to Bullingdon Prison. I went there a few months ago to observe the final session of something that they call the Sycamore Project. Sycamore Project because of this story. Incidentally, uh, mentioning Bullington Prison reminds me a little bit, I wasn't going to say this, but it's just come into my mind, reminds me of the preacher in London who started his sermon by saying, I noticed in my notes that I preached this sermon a year ago in Pentonville Prison. So I apologize to those who have heard it before. (laughs) I wasn't really going to say that, but it suddenly came into my mind. Uh, Anyway, I went with um, Norm Robbins, member of our church, uh, to Bullingdon Prison to see the final session of this Sycamore Project uh, with the prisoners. And what happens is that prisoners can volunteer to do the course, which is based on restorative justice principles. It confronts offenders with the consequences of their crime and offers them the chance to change. I think there are six sessions, maybe, maybe eight sessions in the course. It's been very successful, uh, more successful really than almost anything else in reducing reoffending. It's not foolproof, of course. Not everybody uh, is, so to speak, helped by it, but it has had some measure of success. And it's been an excellent influence on a number of offenders. Uh, tragically, actually, the government has cut the funding for it, which is a shame because even if even if one person on each course being turned around from re-offend and didn't re-offend, it would save the country thousands of pounds because um, it costs so much to keep people in prison. And, of course, it would save the victims of the next crime from being damaged. So it's a very short-sighted government cut to get rid of the Sycamore Project. If you have any influence over politicians, encourage them to reinstate it. It's called the Sycamore Project because this encounter with Zacchaeus is seen as a very early example of restorative justice. Zacchaeus is uh, confronted with restorative justice in the story. People think that they've invented something new in RJ, but Jesus, as so often, got there first. The project divides the course into nine steps which can be summarized really in three stages, just for simplicity's sake. The first thing that happens is that trust is built with the team, with the volunteer team. They're all volunteers, and trust is developed with them over three sessions. That's quite difficult with prisoners who are obviously often very distrustful and wary and very hurt often, as well as sometimes being very bad, obviously. The second stage is to create an emotional response in the offender by confronting them with the consequences of their crimes on the victim. So they are encouraged to experience and feel the, uh, uh, the damage done to the person who's the victim of the crime. And actually somebody who is a victim of a crime comes into the group and says to them what 
has happened to them as a result of their house being broken into or a relative being murdered or whatever it might be. That creates an emotional response. And thirdly, the offender is challenged to change and then they uh, affirm that they will change in front of the whole group. They have to get up in front of the whole group and say that they're going to change. And that was what I witnessed at the end of this course. And I think you can see this threefold process in Jesus' meeting with Zacchaeus. First of all, Zacchaeus is clearly a volunteer. Nobody made him climb the tree. He did so quite voluntarily. He's intrigued by Jesus. And perhaps like many criminals, he has very low self-esteem. He has a victim mentality. He feels marginalized. He feels unworthy. And so he, he, he doesn't want to be noticed. He climbs up the tree, partly to see, partly because he doesn't want to, people to know that he's looking. He doesn't think much of himself. He does not feel perhaps particularly guilty, perhaps, when he cheats people because he thinks he's worthless. But he is a cheat and he is a thief. His life is changed when someone, in this case Jesus, believes in him in a way that he's never been believed in before. Imagine how he felt when this celebrity preacher looked up into the tree and in front of everyone said he wanted to come home to his home, not someone else's, didn't want to go to a Pharisee's home now, to a doctor of the law, wanted to come to the tax collector Zacchaeus, perhaps the most hated man in Jericho. I want to come to your house. I want a relationship with you. I want you uh, to know that I care for you. That's exactly what happens in the Sycamore Project. The prisoners have people who say, we really believe you can change. So Zacchaeus' trust in Jesus began, and he welcomed him gladly into his home. Stage one is complete. Trust of some sort at least, is achieved. Now, we don't know what conversation transpired at dinner. Obviously, the story is foreshortened somewhat. But clearly, there was a conversation in the house, and Jesus confronted Zacchaeus with all that he did wrong. As a result, Zacchaeus gives away half of his possessions and undertakes to repay fourfold those he cheated, that is, effective restorative justice. So Jesus must have created a huge emotional response in Zacchaeus. This is a life-changing moment for him as he's confronted with the consequences of his crimes on his victims and he's persuaded that he's not inevitably the evil, sniveling, little no-gooder that he thought he was, but he was capable of change. He's capable of something better. Stage two is complete. There is an emotional change. Salvation, Jesus says, has come to Zacchaeus that day. Salvation has come to this house. That, in a way, is what happens to the prisoners who decide that they're going to go straight and really mean it when they go straight out of a prison. It isn't salvation, of course, in the sense in which Jesus is talking about here, but it is salvation for them from a life of crime. Salvation comes to the offender in in Bullingdon when he turns from crime, returns to society and goes straight. There is hope and a future for him outside of prison, which there wasn't before. Zacchaeus publicly affirms the changes in his heart by restoring the money to his victims and by repaying them uh, fourfold. 
Stage three complete. Publicly, he says that he has changed and there is evidence of it with the restoration of the money. So I think this is a really encouraging story for anyone who we know is who's caught up in a pattern of behavior which seems irredeemable. Here is someone confronted with the consequences of what they're doing wrong and changing, publicly changing. But of course, Luke is saying much more than just that we turn from our wicked ways to live a different life now. Verse 9 and 10 are crucial. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. See, the rich young ruler in chapter 18 believed that he could save himself. He believed he could save himself by keeping the commandments. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I keep the commandments. But of course, as we know from that story, he was not prepared to stop being greedy. He wasn't prepared to do what Zacchaeus is prepared to do, which was to make restoration, to give away his money, because he was greedy. He was very rich, and he wanted to stay rich, and he had no intention whatever of changing that, although, of course, he was nice to his parents. And of course, he didn't swear or steal, but he was greedy. He was seriously covetous. And he thought he could save himself, and he went away sorrowful. Zacchaeus knew that he needed forgiveness. He knew that he was lost. He knew that he needed saving, and he knew that in Jesus he had met his Savior. Now, the challenge, I think, in the story is this, is that perhaps in some ways we find it much easier in middle-class North Oxford to relate to the rich young ruler than we do to the beggar or to Zacchaeus. Our problem surely all the time is that we have a temptation, a desire to save ourselves. We're not, we're not as bad as Zacchaeus. We're not marginalized like the blind beggar desperately crying out for help on the side street. No, we are, generally speaking, decent people, aren't we? Much more like the rich young ruler than Zacchaeus or the beggar. But in fact, in Scripture... The respectable young man, arrogantly trusting in his own ability to be good enough for God, was every bit as lost as the beggar and Zacchaeus. And of course, by the end of the story, he's more lost because he has gone away sorrowful and salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. Sin crouches at the door of all all the doors of all our lives in many, many different forms. And only when we're confronted with the consequences of our sin, in the case of the rich young ruler, the greed that had corrupted his heart and made him arrogant and self-sufficient, only when we're confronted with the consequences of our sin and only when we're prepared to turn away in repentance and decide openly and confessing before others that we will seek to live differently and wholeheartedly put our trust in the one who has died and risen to bring us forgiveness and new life. Only then, only then can we know the ecstatic joy of salvation, the ecstatic joy of salvation that we see in the the beggar at the end of chapter 8. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, 
praising God. And when all the people saw it, they praised God too. And in the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Remember what the, uh, uh, the Pope said in that, uh, in that quote? The woman caught in adultery and forgiven by Jesus, the man caught cheating and stealing as a tax corrector, cannot go back, cannot depart from the law. For whatever encounter, whoever encounters such great mercy cannot depart from the law in future. It's what follows. If we experience such mercy, such love, our lives must be changed. They must be changed. And that is what Christian conversion does for us. Let's pray. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. We recognize before you, as we recognized at the beginning of this service, Lord, that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, that we need restoration. We need to uh, daily recognize our tendency to go wrong. But we thank you. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts that when, like Zacchaeus, we put our trust in you and welcome you into our homes, welcome you into our lives, The encounter with your love and mercy is life-changing. And though from time to time, of course, we slip up, of course we do, we know that we hate to sin once we've encountered your mercy and love. And we love to do what is right. Help us by your Spirit to live transformed lives for your glory. Amen.